You're listening to The Rundown with Desmond Johnson. And welcome back to The Rundown. I'm your host, Desmond Johnson. The Wake Forest Demon Deacons hired head coach Steve Forbes back in April, and that was the only major coaching change in major college basketball since the coronavirus onset. On the line with me right now, the head coach of the Demon Deacons, Steve Forbes. Coach Forbes, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Desmond. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm probably one of the only few people that took a new job during a pandemic. I don't know if smart or not, but I did. Well, uh, that's really the first question I wanted to lead off with you because just thinking back to the beginning of this, I mean, this is literally the longest year probably in recorded history with everything that's been going on. Yeah. How difficult was it for you to decide to leave East Tennessee State where you just finished capping off a great 2020 season, uh, Southern Conference play, uh, Coach of the Year honors? Did the non-traditional method of the interviewing process due to what was happening with COVID at the time back in April. Did it cause you to pause at all, or did you dive head into it, first into it, I should say? I mean, actually, Desmond, I've been through a few of those before. I thought this one was the most um, inf informative process I'd ever been through because we did several Zooms with a lot of different people on campus, and the more I did it, the more impressed I became with the situation at Wake Forest going into it really truthfully not knowing a whole lot about it, except that I had a great relationship with John Curry from working with him at Tennessee. So actually it was probably kind of the opposite. I think, I think the pandemic made it more informative, more inclusive as far as more people being involved in the process than maybe going and meeting with an AD and an associate AD in a banquet room somewhere in a hotel, you know, in an undisclosed place. I think, you know, I think this probably <laughs> best process I've ever been through. I was going to ask you about that, uh, that relationship uh, with current Wake Forest athletic director, John Curry, both of you guys had a previous stint at Tennessee. Uh, and you mentioned him here just a, a couple of seconds ago. Do you guys have a pretty good relationship? Was it, or was it more of a working kind of, I know him, he knows me type of thing, or uh, was that something that you guys already had at Tennessee? So it made it easier when you came here to Winston-Salem? Yeah. I mean, John's somebody that had, the utmost respect for, you know, working with him. And then, yes, our families, you know, got to know each other during our time at in Knoxville. And then I've stayed in touch with John over the years, not on a daily basis, but checking in from time to time. And so, I, you know, you, you mentioned it earlier. One of the things about being at East Tennessee State was I, I learned that you don't mess with happy. And so I was looking – I was really happy. So I was looking for a life-changing – situation if I was ever going to leave and one of the most important things is really having a great relationship with the people that you work with and who you work for and having that opportunity to come to Wake Forest and work for somebody that I already had a great relationship with and I totally trusted was very uh, uh, influential in me making my decision to leave uh, East Tennessee State. Follow Coach Forbes on Twitter at Forbes Wake Hoops. On the line with us, Wake Forest head coach Steve Forbes. 
Uh, coach, when the, so when the Demon Deacons were really doing well 15, 20 years ago uh, into the early 2000s, and I'm sure you've been in Winston-Salem long enough now, a few months, to kind of probably dive into the history of the Demon Deacons basketball program. Typically, they found highly skilled guards and paired them with athletes in the paint throughout most of their history, whether you want to go all the way back to Muggsy Bogues or Rodney Rogers, Randolph Childress, Tim Duncan, that type of uh, makeup of a team, regardless of who the coach was, it seems like the Deeks kind of built their teams, uh, those successful teams in that manner. What type of team is a quote-unquote Steve Forbes team? What, what are the aspects that you expect from your team when they go out on the floor and play each night? Well, first of all, Desmond, I'd like to have two of the top 50 players in the history of the NBA. And Chris yeah, that, that would help. <laughs> I don't think I could screw those guys up. Um, <laughs> no, Desmond, I like to play fast. I, like, I believe in recruiting offense and coaching defense, and my teams have always been a high-scoring team, shared the ball, always been um, tough on defense, good rebounding teams, and have executed at a high level. And I think when you do those kind of things, you know, Desmond, you can be successful no matter what offense or defense that you're trying to run. Now, you know, we always have to adjust and adapt to the personnel that we have. And, um, you know, right, we're going through that right now with our team here is trying to figure out the best way for us to win. Because I think ultimately, you know, my job as a head coach is to put our players in position to win. And so we have to find – the best way for us to play this year with this team. Let's let's talk a little bit about the roster that you have because it, it's a, a influx of different uh, you know grad transfers, freshmen uh, that you brought in, guys that you kept from the previous regime. Uh, first, the the incoming transfers. You have a group of incoming transfers that Deacon fans should like. Uh, talk to Deacon Nation about. First, Ian Dubos uh, out of Houston Baptist and Jalen Johnson uh, from Tennessee. What do you expect for them to bring to this squad this season? First, I think it's really important to understand. I think recruiting and keeping our best talent home is really important at Wake Forest. So it was exciting to already have Ian in the fold, and then I brought Jalen along with me. You know, Ian is a powerful guard. He can really score the basketball. I think he had a game – Last year uh, at Houston Baptist, we had 49 points in a game. Um, he's got a great body. He's a super young man, um, strong off the dribble. And so um, I'm, I'm excited, you know, to have him in the fold. Uh, Jalen Johnson is a long kind of the type of two, three guys that I like to recruit at six, 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 seven, really long and athletic and really shoot it. Um, you know, he's, he's trying hard to become a better defender. Uh, and another really, you know, nice young man. So, you know, those two guys bring a lot of experience. And that was one of the things that I was looking for when I got the job was trying to find some guys that had experience because we lost so many guys off last year's unit that had played so many minutes that we needed, you know, we needed some experience. Some guys have been through the fire a little bit and those guys have been there. The, um, the two of the players that you've brought in that are also transfers that I'm uh, super interested in learning a little bit more about are two kids who actually have roots here in Winston-Salem, uh, Virginia Tech transfer Isaiah Wilkins and your former recruit Davian Williamson. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, both have been cleared to play for the 2020-2021 uh, season. What went into the process of re-recruiting uh, re, uh, Davian to start off with to return home? Was that a hard process for you to convince him to come with you back to Winston-Salem, or was it a little bit easier than you expected it to be? 
Well, you know, first of all, it was Davian's decision, Desmond, to leave East Tennessee State. I didn't encourage that. I would have been very happy for Davian to stay. Uh, East Tennessee State was good to him, and he was good to East Tennessee State. Once he made the decision to leave, um, then I got involved in his recruitment. You know, obviously, we had the inside track. I mean, I have a great relationship with him um, and his mother and his high school coach. But there were some good teams that jumped in there, San Diego State, Georgetown. Some schools made a really hard push, you know, for him. You know, and I'm sure he thought about some of those moments in practice when I used to say, some crazy things to him, so he probably got <laughs> maybe the grass was greener on the other side. But um, ultimately, you know, he chose to come play here, and, and it's a great decision for him, not just for basketball, but for life, for him to be able to get his degree here at Wake Forest and then be living in this community for maybe for the rest of his life. It's a, it's a great opportunity, you know, for him. And he's a super young man, a, a really good player, and when I get mad at the team, I just yell at him. Because I know I know he could take it, you know. He could take it. Isaiah Wilkins, you know, played at a really good program here in town for Andy Muse, you know, at, at Mount Tabor, and mm-hmm. really knows how to play. Um, went through a couple coaches, you know, at Virginia Tech. So this is his third coach, basically in three years. He played for Buzz Williams, Mike Young, and now me. So I think he's probably heard it all when it comes to uh, coaching. But um, he's, he's done really well, and he's a tough kid, and he's very coachable. He's very likable. And so I'm happy for those guys. Same for him, just being able to come home and get a degree here at Wake, top 30 uh, institution in the country. No matter whatever happens after, you know, school and when, ball, when basketball stops, those guys are going to be in really great shape for the rest of their life because of their degree here at this wonderful institution. I like that you mentioned in that answer uh, in terms of where those two kids went. Uh, as you mentioned, Mount Tabor, a perennial high school power here uh, in Winston-Salem. Um, Winston-Salem Prep is where Davian attended uh, high school, and they're also a perennial basketball power here in the area. So both of the kids are, are pretty well known in this area to, to high school basketball hoop heads uh, in terms of the, the pedigree and the, the programs they came from. And now they're able to bring that into Wake Forest. Wake Forest did build a a reputation of bringing in top players in the state of North Carolina, typically right in their backyard uh, that over the past, I don't know, the past five or eight years or so, that's kind of gone away. Uh, What what are your plans in terms of kind of circling the wagons around uh, this area? Because apparently there's a lot of talent here in the triad and uh, uh, Raleigh-Durham area and the Charlotte area alone to really build a program in the state of North Carolina, which Wake Forest did exceptionally well. Uh, in the late 90s into the early 2000s. Is that the game plan in terms of future uh, recruiting plans, kind of targeting these kids that are right underneath your nose? Well, that's a really good question. Before I answer that, I got to mention Coach Gould, Andre Gould, that went to Salem Prep. Or, yeah. You know, he won't be very happy with me after I mentioned Coach Muse. But, um, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, for sure, Desmond. I mean, I, I believe that the term I like to use is recruiting inside out. And so the inside out means we recruit the Carolinas first and then we branch out. Now we can, we can recruit the entire nation. We can, we can recruit the world when it comes to the brand of Wake Forest, but we want to start inside out. We want to recruit the Carolinas, you know, North Carolina, South Carolina. Typically, I think, as you said, I think 
kids, if they have a great option, like to stay closer to home so their friends and family can watch them play. And, you know, here we have the best of both worlds. We have books and basketball. We have a top education in the country, top 30, and we're in the best basketball conference in America, the ACC. So it's a great combination for these kids to come here and, and go to school. And so we're, we're going to concentrate our efforts uh, inside out and then move out from there. And, uh, and that was one of the things that attracted me to the job was having the homegrown talent that the Carolinas have um, makes the job a little bit easier. Not always, if you think about recruiting as far as home games and road games, you don't always want to play on the road. You want to play some home games. You want to play home games in recruiting. And I've not typically worked a lot of places where you've had that opportunity. You know, you've always had to kind of go outside your, your backyard to go get players. And so this is something that really attracted me to Wake Forest. Now, you were able to finally uh, get on the Joel floor and run a simulated game day uh, earlier this week. What's the number one thing, Coach, that your Deeks need to work on heading into the beginning of the 2020-21 season from what you've seen so far? Did you just say just one? Yeah. <laughs> if you could pick just one thing. Now, if there's multiple things, you know, you can spread it out. But if there's one, what's the one thing that keeps you up at night right now? <laughs> huh. Well, playing in the ACC. Um, <laughs> uh, I would say, you know, Desmond, I would say a couple things. I think our ball screen defense, and we spent a lot of time working on it, it still is not to where it needs to be. And I think it's just because it's so probably different than maybe what they're used to doing. And they're trying really hard. Uh, but I think it's something that's got to be cleaned up here shortly. Uh, we're not a big team, so team rebounding is going to be really important, not just individual, but team. And, you know, we got to have the big guys rebounding, but we got to have the guards rebounding down. And, you know, we had a scrimmage on Saturday, and the guards actually did a great job rebounding. Ian DuBose had 12, and Ian Davian Williamson had nine. But some of our bigger guys didn't. And so, I think probably ball screen defense and team rebounding just on the list of 20 or 30 things I probably have in my mind. Um, mm -hmm. Those will probably be at the top of the list today. And I may change tomorrow, Desmond. Right. <laughs> um, and that's kind of the, you know, the schizophrenic life of being a head coach, right? One day you're happy about something, the next day you're depressed about it. So, <laughs> um, you know, it's like our offense. You know, you come home and think, man – we looked really good on offense today. And then you say, well, maybe we're not very good on defense. You know, it's like, you know, it's just the way it goes. I'm not the only coach going through it right now. Now, now you've traveled a long road to get to this point in the ACC uh, as the head coach of the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. What coach do you model your style around the most? What, what coach in your past has had the most influence on Steve Forbes' coaching style in 2020 and beyond? Wow, that's a great question. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a conglomerate. You know, if you think about my – and it really kind of started when I was in high school. You know, my high school coach, Doug Hoffmeister, was a really good high school coach. And then I went to um, – I grew up right, right outside of Iowa City, Iowa, when I was, you know, a kid and in high school. And Lute Olson was the head coach at, at Iowa. And so I, that influenced me a whole lot early on was, um, was Lute Olson and my high school coach. And then, you know, mm. through the years, I've, I've worked for three Final Four coaches – you know, I worked for Porter Moser, who we were together at Illinois State and went, took Loyola to the Final Four. You know, I worked for uh, Bruce Pearl at Tennessee, took Auburn to the Final Four, and I worked for Greg Marshall 
We took Wichita State to the Final Four. I worked for Billy Gillespie at Texas A&M, who was the Big 12, you know, coach of the year and a Bill Self disciple. So I've worked for some outstanding coaches. I've been lucky to kind of – very lucky to, to take those things, you know, that, that I've learned and, and, and adapt them to my personality. So, you know, there's a lot of – I even worked with Buzz. You know, Buzz Williams and I were on the same staff at Texas A&M. And, and so I've been around a lot of great people in this business, and – I've been fortunate to take bits and pieces, I think, from all of those guys to help me become, to get where I'm at today. All right, let's do a quick uh, rapid fire real quick for uh, Demon Deacon fans that are still getting to know uh, new head coach Steve Forbes entering year one here in Winston-Salem at Wake Forest, uh, head of the men's basketball program. Coach, after a long game, say Wake just beat, let's say Wake just beat Duke in double overtime at the Joel. Whole city's jumping. What's Coach Forbes' favorite victory meal? For many, it does. <laughs> you know, I kind of like I'm a, I like wings. I'll, I'll eat some wings after a My game. My man, yeah. yeah. My man, have you found a uh, have you found a spot yet in Winston? Because there's a number of wing spots uh, spread out oh. around here. Have you had a chance to explore oh. a little bit? I'm not jumping into that question. I'm not going <laughs> to. I'm a uh, when it comes to wings, I I spread the wealth. Spread okay, the wealth. there you go. A, a man, a man cut from the same cloth as me. What What's your favorite sport to watch outside of basketball? I love college football. Um, I'm a big game day guy. I love watching. Um, I can watch college football all day long. Um, I, I don't watch the NFL anymore. Um, I watch the NBA only when Nick Nurse is coaching, pretty much. Oh, I love Nick Nurse. And um, that's about it. But college football is something that I really love. And, I, and I'm, I love the World Series. I don't get a chance to watch the whole season. But the World Series is really something I enjoy, too. And right now, college football is hopping over uh, at Winston as Wake just completed a 4-0 undefeated uh, month. They'll be taking on uh, North Carolina this Saturday. And then finally, I'm going to put you on the spot here. You're, 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 let's say you're at the YMCA, you're picking a pickup team. You got two choices here over on the left. You see LeBron James in his prime over on your right. You see Michael Jordan in his prime. Uh Who's coach picking for his team? Well, first of all, that's an easy question. I'm taking, I'm taking Michael Jordan. Not even. Thank you. (laughs) Um, But I probably would just take the two members of my staff, BJ Mackey and Randolph Chillers. Let's go to war. Hey, (laughs) that's <laughs> about as tough as it gets um they'll fight you they can score they're old school you know and and i always make mackie mad because you know i always tell i always like to say well i like to recruit burger king all americans they want to kick mcdonald's butt but mackie was a mcdonald's all american so he always gets offended by that when i say that to him. <laughs> Um, not that I would not take a McDonald's All-American. Right. But, uh, you know, why don't we just put Mackie and Childress against Jordan and LeBron? Let's go to war and let's see what yeah. happens. Hey, Randolph knows a little bit about dropping buckets on Tar Heels, so he, he, he'd He's probably be ready to go. <laughs> let's don't go down that road. I've seen that before. Yeah. Coach, man, I, I really appreciate you stopping by uh, the rundown to talk to us a little bit about everything. I'm hoping to have you back on a little bit later on in the season. I know they just dropped the uh, the ACC schedule uh, going forward. Fingers crossed that we get through this season healthy and the Deacons can uh, resume their spot uh, at the top of the ACC going forward. Because when they do, 
Uh, I'm sure many people have told you when the Deeks are great in basketball or good in basketball, the entire city of Winston-Salem is kind of like rallied behind them in terms of the electricity level. It's just a different feeling in the town when that when that team is playing really well. Uh, and I'm sure you've had numerous people tell you this <laughs> over the past couple of months in terms of the uh, the nation just kind of wanting a fresh start, uh, you know, new expectations. So it's exciting here in the triad. And uh, I just wanted to thank you for coming on board with the rundown and talking with us today. Well, thanks for having me. Um, that's why we're here, Desmond, is to win, you know, and then it's not like it hasn't been done before, like you just said, and it just needs a spark, right? It needs to be ignited again, the, and the flame needs to get going, and and we're here to do it. And uh, I feel bad that, you know, we're not going to be able to have our fans in the Joel this year, but they can come out and support us virtually this year. That's kind of how it's got to be done, but uh, – I really appreciate you having me on, and I'd love to come on any other time you have me. Follow, follow Coach Forbes on Twitter at Forbes Wake Hoops. That's head coach Steve Forbes from Wake Forest. Coming up, more from the rundown here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, tobaccoroadsportsradio.com. You're listening to The Rundown with Desmond Johnson. Welcome back to The Rundown. I am your host, Desmond Johnson. A lot of stuff going on, especially here in the Carolinas here. Uh, a beautiful Friday afternoon. Hope you're enjoying your rush, trying to get back home to your, your families, your TVs, and everything else. On the line with us from Carolina Blitz, I have Vastai Hurt, the editor-in-chief. Uh, Vastai, welcome. Welcome to The Rundown. First time. Yeah, first time. I'm, I'm happy to be here, so I'm, I'm excited. Big weekend, Big weekend coming up in Carolina, uh, but yeah, good to be with you guys. Yeah, so there's there's a couple of things I want to touch on with you guys, and for those of you that aren't aware, definitely go to uh, Twitter to follow Carolina Blitz at Keep Blitzing. Uh, that's Blitzing B L I T Z I N uh, to get the latest on sports news across North Carolina. Um, one of the big things that's going on next Wednesday is the NBA draft. And as you know, the Charlotte Hornets have the number three pick overall in the 2020 NBA draft. Vaste, how confident are you that the Hornets can come away with a franchise-changing player in this draft this year? I mean, honestly, I don't know if there's a franchise-changing player in this draft. Top to bottom, I think it's pretty weak. Uh, the Pan- uh, Panthers, Lord have mercy, the Hornets, uh, <laughs> they kind of defied the odds in getting that number three pick, uh, which is good for them. And the top three, arguably, we you have Anthony Edwards, you have James Wiseman, you have LaMelo Ball. And right. I've seen different reports as far as who will go where. At first, it was like Anthony Edwards was the surefire number one. Now I'm hearing reports about LaMelo being number, number one, uh, conflicting reports about whether the Hornets want to draft LaMelo with Devontae Graham and how he's done at that point guard position. So it's just, you know, I don't think you could go wrong with any of those guys, but I would, I don't see them being a franchise changing player like a Zion Williamson type. Yeah. And Zion, I mean, Zion's a unicorn. I mean, he happens maybe once every 10 years or so uh, in the NBA in terms of just a surefire, everybody knows who the number one pick is type of guy. Uh, this year, you're right. It's basically come down to LaMelo Ball, Anthony Edwards, and James Wiseman. And I've kind of moved around on this over the past month or so. Really, for the past month, I had been focused on LaMelo Ball. Because for me, the Hornets kind of seem like 
a team of like uh, not role players, but a team of average to above average players. But there's not one star really yet on that team. And I, and I think LaMelo could potentially be that star, the, you know, the kind of guy that makes you sell tickets, puts people in seats when we mm-hmm. eventually get to the point that you can actually sit in Spectrum Center again to watch a game. Right. Um, now, I've kind of moved off of that because I didn't realize the Hornets were last in the NBA last season in defensive rebounding percentage. Um, I, I, the, really, their greatest need is center and wing, uh, which would basically be one of these three. If you if you had to choose one of those three, who would you be happy with at the end of the night that the Panthers came away with? You uh, know, me, the Hornets. I said the Panthers myself. The Hornets. That, I'm that, sorry. That's <laughs> a, it's a tough question because uh, the Hornets do need a big guy, and Wiseman is is a good defender, a uh, good all around player. I remember covering him when he was at EYBL. Really, the last time he got significant burn because he didn't really play that much at Memphis. Uh, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, uh, you know, game changing. I think he would complement the young group of players that the Hornets are putting together, like a Miles Bridges, Devonte Graham, um, PJ Washington. I think that the Hornets have a good core of young talent. I, you know, I, I guess I don't know if Lamelo would mess up that flow. Quite frankly, because Lamelo is the type of from what I from what I've seen, and I haven't studied Lam- Lamelo. Just being completely honest, but I think that he would need to be a guy who would need to uh, to be the guy, to be mm. the facilitator, to be the one with the ball in the, his in in his hands. And I don't know if that would mess up what the Hornets have brewing or what they or the the flashes that they've sh- that they showed uh, toward the end of last season before COVID kind of interrupted everything. So I guess I guess I guess I'll go big right now. You know, on ESPN's mock draft, they have uh, the Hornets picking uh, the big man out of uh, oh, USC. Uh, yeah, the guy of USC, Agonquay. Uh, Agonquay, yeah. 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 So you know, I, <laughs> you never know <laughs> what happens with this draft. And then there's also a potential that the Hornets could trade the pick to in order to get maybe a. A, a different piece or or another or another pick later on or or veteran presence who knows uh i really i think this draft will be this is one where you really like you said there's no clear like top no clear lottery really no clear top five it's just based on you know what these what these gms see in their in their guts you know, I I was like I said, I was on Lamelo for about a month, and then I'm uh, maybe you can maybe you can help me decide if I'm crazy or not because I've come off of Lamelo for one particular reason. I rewatched The Last Dance, like probably my fourth time through uh, the the great documentary that ESPN put out for all of us while we were sitting at home uh, during Corona uh, on the Jordan led Chicago Bulls of the '90s, and I think I counted in that ten part documentary probably about seven or eight times when Michael Jordan uttered the words, I took that personally. And mm-hmm. I, co- I come back around to that because it wasn't but a couple of years ago where uh, LaMelo Ball's father, Lamar, was on first take basically bragging that he could beat Michael Jordan in a pickup basketball game, like right now. Right. And was very adamant about it. Am I crazy to think that Michael Jordan is still petty enough to remember that and because of that will not draft LaMelo Ball? Uh- 
I don't I don't think that that matters. And and another thing, I know that Michael Jordan has had his woes as GM, but Mitch Kupchak is the GM of the Hornets. I don't mm-hmm. think I think that you run things by Jordan, but I don't know if Jordan's voice is as loud as what people think it is when it comes to making that final decision. If it even if it is, I don't see Jordan being that petty. I mean, I think Jordan's petty, but really? I don't see <laughs> I don't see him being that petty where he would forego uh drafting, you know, someone who could make a friend, you know, potentially bring a, a winning season to the Hornets or mesh well with the guys that there are the pieces that they already have because his dad said he can beat him now one on one. I mean yeah, Jordan's yeah. petty, but I mean, he's also a businessman. And so uh, I think that business would come before pettiness in that instance. I I hope you're right, Vashti. I really do because that, the more as we as we get closer and closer to next Wednesday uh, when the draft will take place, that thought keeps creeping in my mind. I just see Jordan sitting in that reclining chair, going, and I took that personally. And, I'm, and it could be the most <laughs> random, you know, it could be like a janitor at the at the Palace at Auburn Hills stepped on his shoe or something, and he decides to go drop fifty five on the Pistons that night. Because he took it personally. You know, it's just one of those kind of things that made Jordan Jordan. Uh, got Vashti Hurt on the line, the editor in chief from Carolina Blitz. Definitely go follow them on Twitter at Keep Blitzen. Let's, uh, let's bounce down to uh, Carolina Panthers here. A couple of news and notes coming out of there this week. And I know you guys uh, follow the team closely. Star running back Christian McCaffrey ruled out this upcoming Sunday with a shoulder injury that he suffered uh, this past Sunday against the Kansas City Chiefs. Vashti, with seven games left in the season, is it crazy to consider sitting CMC out for the rest of this season? I don't think so. Um, I mean, at this point, you're not really playing for a playoff spot. You're not playing for a Super Bowl. These just it's just it's just not what the expectations are in there, and it's not it's realistically that's not what the Panthers' ceiling um, is this year. So you know, rest him. Uh, he's he played two weeks got injured, was gone, and then his first game back, now he's injured his shoulder. You you dropped a bag on him in the offseason. A lot of got a rest. And and on in in addition to that, Mike Davis has been a great replacement. Uh and and so I don't feel like if if I were the GM and if I'm Tepper and knowing that he's my money back, I'll just, you know, and knowing the lifespan of running backs, allow him to just just take red shirt this year. Let him red shirt this year. I think a lot of it's going to come down to uh, a practical business decision, kind of what you basically laid out. And I think one of the things that uh, David Tepper, Marty Herney, the GM, and Matt Rule, one of the things that'll come up is that with this crazy coronavirus 2020 season that's going on, uh, the, you know, the Panthers are limited in terms of fan attendance. I think if, if it was a regular year where we had, you know, full capacity in all these stadiums and they were about selling tickets and that kind of thing, there might be more of a push to keep him in the rest of the season because he's the face, you know, he's the draw of the Carolina Panthers now with everyone pretty much gone from the previous uh, couple of years. Having said that, the Panthers are only allowing in limited attendance to begin with. And right. they're three and six team. Everyone kind of, I think everyone kind of got, uh, fooled by the three-game winning streak with McCaffrey out because there was a week where a lot of us were talking, you know, is this a playoff caliber team? And then reality kind of, you know, came crashing down. 
I think because of that, that's a, definitely a possibility. We'll see what it is. I know, I know McCaffrey wants to play. I think everybody wants, uh, everyone knows that, but we'll, we'll see what they do regarding that. Staying on the offensive side of the ball, I make the mistake, Vashti, of going onto social media after Panther games, Facebook in particular. I'll go into Panther groups and just kind of sit in the shadows and watch and hear and see what people are saying and doing about the team. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the conversation, especially the past couple of weeks with McCaffrey out, has centered around quarterback Teddy Bridgewater. Now, Teddy signed a, a team-friendly three-year deal. If I'm not mistaken, there's a team option after year two where they can con- decide to move on from him if they choose to, which would be the end of next season. Have you seen enough of quarterback Teddy Bridgewater to convince you that he can be a franchise-changing quarterback for Carolina? No. I mean, <laughs> not right now. I think that Teddy Bridgewater right now has has proven to be a decent and a formidable quarterback. But 0 for 5 on game-winning drives is not game-changing or franchise-changing. And until he can show that he can win games in the fourth quarter, like come from behind and legit lead a game-winning drive, then he's not the guy for the future. Um, And with David, you know, in meetings and press conferences and and sit-downs with David Tepper, he he continuously talks about creating a culture of sustained excellence. And, you know, I think that this year, of course, new, new coach, new, a lot of new uh, personnel, uh, unconventional offseason with COVID. No one's expecting the Panthers to have a winning season. There should be drastic. And, and honestly, they've exceeded expectations with the game, with their ability, how they've stayed in these games. But, Eventually, you have to show that you have that winning gene. You have that it factor. And Teddy has been able to show that so far. That doesn't mean that he doesn't have it in him. But right now, at this time, he's not it. You know, it's it's kind of a uh, uh, a microcosm of the season. The Panthers are 2-6 and six, uh, overall right now in games that are decided by eight points or fewer. Um, and that's the way it's really felt every week. You know, I was just telling... Uh, Tyrone Poole, former cornerback for the Carolina Panthers, who's a co-host of mine on the Believe in Panthers podcast, I've been telling him for a couple of weeks that it's kind of hard to hate on the Panthers or to be mad at them, uh, or maybe I'm crazy because it feels like I'm comparing them to the 2019 Panthers, and for those that are diehards that remember, by this point of 2019, that Panther team had basically given up. At least the defense had. It just They were allowing 20-yard runs right up the gut, like it just the tackling was awful. It became a chore really to watch the Panthers last year, uh, unless you're just a diehard fan. This year, even though they're losing these games, every game has been pretty much competitive into the, deep into the fourth quarter. And Teddy has a lot to do with that. But Teddy also has a lot to do with some of the games that we've lost uh, based off of turnovers from Teddy. The first Tampa game, as we're going to see Tampa Bay this Sunday, um, Tom Brady and company. He had two quick turnovers in the first uh, half of the first Tampa game, dug Carolina into a hole, and then they spent the rest of the day trying to dig out of it. Same thing in the Chicago game. So there's a couple of games where I kind of look back on them and think, wow, you know, really, if a couple things had gone this way or that way, this Panther team is going to is sitting here at six and three instead of three and six. But of course, that's not the way it works in the NFL. Matt Rule, first year head coach. Uh, at, at, at a professional level, how would you grade his first nine games as a professional head coach? Have you been impressed? Have you kind of thought it was about what you expected it to be, or have you been disappointed? I've actually been impressed. I didn't have high expectations for Matt Rule at all, uh, just based on historically on how college quarter uh, college 
coaches have fared in their jump to NFL head coach head coaching. And so histor history will say that um you know it's gonna it's gonna be rough. But Matt Rule is I mean he's a, I'm I'm impressed. Uh, I'm impressed with you know his knowledge of the game, uh his uh, aggressiveness as far as going for certain plays on fourth down, uh fake punts. You know, those are those are fun things. And even if you aren't successful all the time, it's just you know, you'd like to see a guy be uh, be more aggressive or or show or aggressively try to win. And so I think that those are those are uh, good things. I think that, you know, I have been impressed with him so far. Uh, it'll be, of course, the jury's out as to whether, you know, this his success will continue to whether he'll get, continue to get better and grow the Panthers organization. But so far, he's done a good job. Anything wrong with DJ Moore? Have you heard anything about that as you've been in the pressers? Because the past two weeks, it feels like he's become a forgotten piece of this offense. I think he was only targeted like three times last week. Uh, Teddy wasn't really even looking for him at all. Is there anything going on with DJ that you're aware of or is just kind of a quirk of the play calling? Yeah, he's healthy. And Matt Rule said that he's sure that DJ is kind of frustrated with his lack of targets or, you know, with him not being as involved in the offense uh, these past few weeks, you know, DJ Moore came in the season as wide receiver one. And then you have Robbie Anderson that impressed everyone and rightfully so, because he's played very well this year. And now Curtis Samuel is coming to blossoming or we're starting to see flashes of what we've seen kind of in training camp for the past several years as far as Curtis Samuel. The, I think that with the Panthers, they have so many weapons, you know, and some mm. some people say, "Who Lord, if they had all of these weapons when when Cam was the quarterback, you know. All oh, boy, all, yeah. All of that, what <laughs> up? But literally, you have Christian McCaffrey, you have Robbie Anderson, you have uh, DJ Moore, you have Curtis Samuel. Like, these are legit weapons. And Bridgewater – you know, I asked him about when I asked him about um, how he self-assesses himself uh, after as far as these game-winning drives and, and just in general. He says that you know he's he it's a good thing for him to distribute the ball evenly. He's not going. He doesn't seem like a guy who's going to just lock in on one receiver and that's going to be his go-to guy. Kind of what we saw with Steve Smith and Jake DeLone where, you know, Jake DeLone was going to Steve Smith and that's it, you know, yeah. and you, know, you might have a couple of passes to Moose and Muhammad, but Steve Smith was the guy. That's not the case with Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, but I do expect, um, Joe Brady and Rule and Bridgewater to make a conscious effort in getting DJ Moore involved in the game this Sunday early because that those have been continuous questions. What's going on with DJ? Why is he not more involved? And uh, Matt Rule has said that that's something that that they will focus on this week. I'm really glad you brought up the whole Cam Newton thing because I have been on record. I'm I'm past the point of, you know, wishing Cam was here or anything like that, especially seeing him in New England right now. It looks like they made the right choice. But uh, really, if you look at this offense, the way it's constructed right now, this was Marty Herney's attempt to give Cam Newton weapons. And it's kind of sad that Cam wasn't here to be able to benefit from those weapons by the time they were done bringing in these skill positions, Curtis Samuel and DJ Moore and Christian McCaffrey. Those guys were drafted while Cam was here and still the face of the franchise uh, with an attempt to give him some weapons finally because they hadn't really done it the first six years or so that he was here. So Teddy's kind of benefiting from coming into a situation where all these little toys are kind of out here for him and he's having to figure out a way to disperse the ball to everyone equally. Um, the, the Panthers, three and six, 1 p.m. kickoff on Sunday on Fox, taking on 
Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I've got Vashti Hurt with me, the editor-in-chief of Carolina Blitz. Uh, let's leave him on this. Vashti, Vashti, who, in your opinion, is the most important Panthers defensive player heading into this rematch with Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Bucks on Sunday? Who's the one person that you would tell Panther fans to keep an eye out on that they might make an impact in this game? I'd have to say Brian Burns just because – uh, Tom Brady's the type of guy, and we and you know we saw it with in New Orleans where you know you have you cannot allow him to sit in the pocket and pick you apart. And so right now, Brian Burns is the Panthers' best p- pass rusher. Um, and so if he can keep a hand in Brady's face, if he can make Brady uncomfortable in that pocket, uh, Panthers will have a shot. With that being said. With the way the shellacking that the Saints put on the Bucks on Sunday is, <laughs> I expect, <laughs> and, and the talk, you know, we, these athletes try to, they always say, oh, I don't pay attention to stuff. That's a lie. They look at all of this stuff and it fuels them as they head into these games. And so Brady's been seeing the talk. Brady's been seeing, you know, that he's washed, that he had a bad game, all of this stuff that 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 comes with uh, with what happened to them against the Saints on Sunday. Bridgewater will want blood, uh, they, you know, and the Panthers have to hope that, uh, you know, guys like Brian Burns, uh, Utah Grossmatos, he should return this week. Those guys will be able, and even maybe, you know, Derek Brown, you know, and uh, and the, the up the center will be able to get enough of a pass rush to make him uncomfortable. If that doesn't happen, it's curtains. Crazy thing is, some of that shade going towards Tom Brady this week was coming from his head coach, from Bruce Arians, who kind of <laughs> didn't really try Bruce to hide the fact that, that he kind of <laughs> Bruce does kinda, that on purpose. Bruce thinks he does. <laughs> he does that because he knows that's going to light a fire under his players, and he he's done that with a couple of guys, and then they come out and then they perform. Um, and you know what? I'm not even mad at that. I I see I see the I see the psychology behind what he does. Call him out in the media. Get the get the get the get the conversations going, and that's going to fuel him even more come Sunday. Yeah, if it was a maybe a weaker-minded quarterback, say maybe I don't know, like a Jameis Winston or something, it might not work. It might backfire, and you end up with thirty interceptions. With with Tom Brady, I think he's strong enough to handle the critique and take it to heart and go out there and have a good game. So it's going to be an interesting game Sunday, one p.m. on Fox. Definitely check out the kickout Panthers. Uh, looking for a little bit of revenge against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Vashti, I really appreciate you coming on to the rundown today, and uh, hopefully we can have you back soon. Thanks, thanks for having me. Coming up. More from the rundown after this. You're listening to Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. You're listening to The Rundown with Desmond Johnson. And welcome back to The Rundown. I am your host, Desmond Johnson, and I am so happy to have on a uh, old friend of mine, Mick Mixon, the voice of Carolina Panthers Radio, play-by-play voice for the Panthers Radio Network. Mick, what's going on, man? How are you doing? Better now that I'm talking to you, Desmond. I feel like my uh, coolness factor, my Q rating, my hip uh, quotient is gone up. I'm uh, <laughs> I'm getting to be an old man, and you're still young and in, in your natural prime. 
Uh, I don't know. I don't know about all that now, but uh, you got me blushing on the radio. That's something hard to do. <laughs> Wanted to bring you on, especially to talk a little bit about these Panthers, man. These Panthers. I, I feel I feel weird about them, and I, I feel like you might be able to echo some of the the feelings I'm having for this uh, this team this year. But first, let's start off with the biggest news. Of course, the Panthers taking on uh, Tom Terrific and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at Bank of America Stadium, 1 p.m. kickoff on Fox this Sunday. Uh, Mick. I, the first thing that comes to mind, our star running back, Christian McCaffrey, has been ruled out this Sunday with a, uh, a shoulder injury. He only came back for one game. He'd been sitting out six weeks with a high ankle sprain. With seven games left in the season, is it crazy to consider sitting McCaffrey for the rest of this season to kind of, I don't know, kind of shell him? I know, of course, he wouldn't want to sit. But if you were owner David Tepper, who just gave him the largest contract for a running back in NFL history, or head coach Matt Rule, does the thought cross your mind at all? Desmond, I, I don't think so. I, I think I, I, I like the way you're thinking because we need creative thoughts, especially this in this crazy world we're in. But I just wonder who who would tell McCaffrey. I mean, he's so combat, competitive, so combative that if there's any way he can be out there, then he wants to be a part of it. And I also think Christian McCaffrey sees way better than you or I could see that something special's brewing here in the Carolinas. Something incredibly cool is happening here with the Carolina Panthers and uh, McCaffrey doesn't want to miss one brick being set into place of the foundation of this so that he can experience maximum enjoyment when Matt Rule and his coaching staff bring absolute victory to the Carolinas. Yeah, I, you know, I would agree with that. I was speaking to Tyrone Poole. He's uh, my co-host on the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast uh, earlier today. And I approached him with the subject, but I already knew as a former player, he was just going to blow that completely off. He was like, he's not going to sit. <laughs> but, the, but the fan base seems to think that it's an option. So I wanted to get that out there first. Mick Mixon on the line with his play-by-play voice for the Charlotte Panthers, oh, excuse me, the Carolina Panthers radio network. Have you seen enough of quarterback Teddy Bridgewater, Mick, to convince you that he could be a franchise-changing quarterback? 100%. Two-glove Teddy, natural-born problem solver, accurate can make the first rusher miss uh, more juice than maybe you might think he's got when he needs to run the football, either to run to pass or to run to run. And his leadership quotient in the locker room is off the chain. There's nobody downstairs that doesn't love Teddy Bridgewater. He, he trades with a currency of total respect in that locker room. He's a quiet leader. He's not one to come out and banking off the Northeast wind with his arms outstretched pregame. He doesn't believe in attracting attention to himself. Uh, he's a distributor both in life and at quarterback. And he's not just a bookmark. I could see the Panthers trying to build around him for years to come. Yeah, I've actually been pl- uh, pleasantly surprised with Teddy's play. Uh, there's aspects of his play that I'm not used to as a Panther fan. As you know, Mick, you've been there, you know, since the beginning. We're not used to having accurate quarterbacks, you know, back there, you know, regardless of who it is. I think the last accurate quarterback I could really say was fairly accurate was Steve Berline, uh, because as much as we love Jake DeLome, he was still a 58, 59% completion thrower. We know the struggles Cam Newton had, you know, with accuracy as well. And that's a, a good... I don't know, 14, 15 year stretch of having guys back there behind center where it's kind of a, is it going to be high? Is it going to skip? Is it going to hit the guy in the numbers? Is it, I mean, you know, it's one of those kind of things where you're kind of 
wishing <laughs> making sure it gets there with teddy i haven't had that all year it's almost like i expect it no matter how tight the window is that it's going to get in there um not too sure uh what's going on with this offense right now they're 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 rotten waves where is dj Moore? bridgewater hasn't really targeted him the past two weeks he's not injured as far as i can tell he played more snaps last week on offense than any other panther yet he was only targeted three times why do you think it feels like Moore's? I don't want to say being phased out, but it's almost like he's being overlooked in this offense. What are your thoughts, Mick, on why the offense isn't trying to get more uh, more involved? I can tell you exactly why. It's because this offense has so many weapons that uh, there's just not – some games there's just not going to be the distribution of, uh, of an evenness of the distribution. It's like saying if, if you're sh- – shark's teeth, if your teeth in the mouth of a shark, it's like one tooth saying, hey, wait a second, I'm not getting to take take my, my chomps at this thing. And the other teeth would say, don't worry about it. We're, we're all getting fed, right? You're, we're, the, the beast is getting full. Now, that having been said, we all agree the Panther offense is better with DJ Moore oiled up and a part of it. I'm just trying to say that it's nothing against DJ Moore. He's not in any kind of slump. It's just that the passing game's not like the run game where you just turn and I'm going to say, I'm going to turn and hand the ball to Desmond. Let's see what he can do. Right. The passing game is not like that. There's, there's checks, there's reads, there are progressions. And some games, you know, some games, Chris Manhurts, Ian Thomas might get targeted six times. Some games, uh, they might go for stretches of games and never, and never blink, and never do anything except just block and run their routes and, and hope to get the ball. So I think it's just the way it is. And I would imagine with McCaffrey being out this week that that'll open up some more touches. I mean, McCaffrey had 10 catches last week, uh, so that might open up a little bit more for DJ. And if I'm not, if I'm remembering correctly, he had a pretty big game versus Tampa the first time we saw them down in Tampa on week two. Uh, Mick Mixon joining me here on the rundown line. So, Mick, regarding these 2020 Carolina Panthers, what has been the biggest surprise for you regarding this team and this season so far? Yes, good question, DJ. I think it is for me. It's just the solidarity. It's the commitment. The the unified group of men that that have bought into what Coach Rule is is selling, and they they they're starting to all sound alike. That's how I know it's working. Mm-hmm. There, no matter who you talk to, offensive lineman from uh, some uh, cowboy from Texas or uh, uh, a receiver uh, from the Northeast, somebody from Florida, a California kid. They're all starting to sound alike. They're all singing out of that same hymnal of get 1% better a day. Don't worry about the opponent. Make it about us. Let's be clean. Let's be low turnover. Let's take the ball away from the other team. Let's have a, let's have a uh, if not a penalty free, let's have low penalty games. And let's, let's keep everything in front of us defensively and try to win it at the end. I think that this coaching staff, they're, they're, they're incredible teachers. They, they're incredibly passionate, and you can't, can't believe how hard they work. I mean, ever since we first assembled in late July, I've never been here. I've been here at 6 in the morning. I've been here at 11 o'clock at night. I don't think I've ever been here when the coaches weren't working. So, um, so that's the thing that's impressed me the most is just how, just how spirited uh, this Carolina Panther team is. So in regards uh, to that in the 2020 season, how entertained have you been watching this group of Panthers? And the reason why I ask that is because if we take a trip back to 2019, around this time last year, 
Most of us were pretty miserable, and it was mainly because, you know, they had just fired Rivera midseason. Cam Newton sitting on injured reserve. The defense was a shell of itself. I remember getting gutted. It felt like every other play right up the gut for 20-yard runs, just untouched by rival running backs. And we haven't really had that this year. Every game has been competitive. Every game has been entertaining. Uh, the Panthers have been on the short end of the stick for you know, six of those nine games. But I can't say that this, this team is not interesting or has not gained the respect around the league. Are you sensing that as well as you, as you hear national media and other players talk about this team? I really have, Desmond. I, I was thinking about this before you called me. I, I was thinking in a, in, a, in a crazy world, in a crazy time, on a crazy season and on a crazy football team, how how is this even possible? Who 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 do the Panthers? Who does Matt rules pan? Who do they think they are? <laughs> right. I mean, doing this to us, they 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 shouldn't be in these games. We shouldn't have the seeds of hope planted. We uh, we should be just uh, just on our way, just our heads in the bunker, on our way to two and fourteen, and hope to get a good quarterback. But every time you think there's something about this team, they think they make you think that you can not just think but believe. They they don't just think you can believe, but you can hope. And I, I got chills right now just trying to relay all this to you. Mm. Is there is there a team that you've called for the Panthers? You know, over the past two decades that that reminds you of this team, maybe one that was like on the verge of something special. Cause I'm trying to, I'm trying to place them. They feel familiar, like a, almost like a team knocking on the door. Like, you know, they, they say this a lot, like in the NBA that typically teams have to go through adversity and go through struggle to become uh, champions, whether it's the, you know, the, the Celtics and then the Pistons and then the Bulls, that kind of like lineage that they kind of teach. It's not so much in the NFL, but it kind of is. And it feels like, it, it, it feels like it's the perfect time for the Panthers to have a season like this while you see a 43-year-old quarterback in Tampa coming into town this week, a 41-year-old quarterback uh, running New Orleans down the way, and Atlanta, who knows what's going to happen with Atlanta in the offseason. Uh, it just feels like it's something – there's something tangible here. And I, and I felt like I was going crazy trying to describe this to other people because all they see is three and six or the end of whatever. But if if someone had told you – back in July, that in November, the Panthers would go to Arrowhead, have a chance to win the game on a record-breaking field goal by Joey Sly, a 67-yarder, and it would actually have the leg. It actually had the distance to get there. <laughs> like, what would you have said to that? I mean, it's just like a microcosm of the entire season, it feels like. I've never seen anything like it in sports. I've seen similar things in life where – uh, uh, my grandson, where my son by marriage has has given me uh, that feeling that they're starting to get it, uh, that they're turning a corner, that they're going, they're crossing the threshold or are ready to between young adulthood and being a man. And I feel that way about the Panthers. Desmond, how many bosses, I don't know if you ever had any bosses or mentors or teachers or coaches or whatever who said something to you like this looked at you they did this to me all the time mick i like to help you son because i believe you got potential mm. but yeah. yet you know then you start thinking about okay well thanks but 
you know, it almost feels like it's not good. I'd rather not have potential, so nothing would be expected of me. This <laughs> team, though, uh, they want your high expectations. They they want you to love them, and they're trying to win your heart by showing you theirs every week. Mick Mixon, voice of the Carolina Panthers, on the line with us here on the rundown. Mick, how would you grade first-year professional head coach Matt Rule's first nine games as a head coach? Well, I don't coach the team from the press box. That's one thing I've learned through my uh, six-plus decades on the planet, over 40 years spent covering sports teams. Uh, I try not to give letter grades, numerical grades. I try not to uh, act like I know more than I know and get out of my lane. But I can just tell you this. Matthew Kenneth Rule, uh, you cannot listen to him talk. I dare you to listen to him talk and not – and not believe what he's saying. I, I dare you to, to hear him speak about team dynamics, about leadership, about the, the inclusive way that he tries to listen to these athletes and bring them in and make them feel respected, but also coaches them hard and not be impressed with him. So I, I, I guess if you back me into a corner, if you said you're never going to have me on your show again, if I don't give a, a letter grade, <laughs> then um, – I'd give him I give him an A. I know the record's not what he wants it to be yet, but uh, it, like he always says, you focus on the process and the results will be there. Let's uh let's look ahead here to this Sunday 1 p.m. on Fox Panthers welcoming in a division rival Tampa Bay uh lost to the Buccaneers 31-17 on the road week 2 uh in a game where the Panthers were within one possession until about couple minutes left in the fourth, and they let Leonard Fournette loose for a 60-plus yard touchdown run that kind of broke it open at that point. But these Carolina Panthers, like you know, like you were mentioning, um, Mick, five of the six Panther losses have been by eight points or less, uh, which is pretty nuts considering they didn't have OTAs, they didn't have preseason, they didn't even know their coach, they hadn't even met half the team until, you know, until they got into the building in late July, early August. Uh, in your opinion, starting off on offense with CMC out, who do you think is going to be the most important Panthers offensive player heading into this rematch with Tom Brady in the Bucks? Yeah, it's hard to deal in superlatives like that, but I think Curtis Samuel, with his ability to, to play running back and receiver, I would start there. Number two, um, I think you mentioned DJ Moore earlier. This would be a great game to get DJ back involved in things. Uh, Reggie Bonifant's back on the roster. He'll try to take some of the running back load off of uh, Mike Davis. And wouldn't it be great, and Robbie Anderson's the Panthers' leading receiver right now, but wouldn't it be great if someone with a uniform number that started with an eight hmm. could could make some plays? It'd be phenomenal if right. uh, this, these tight ends could 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 uh, could just insist on, on practicing so hard and doing so well that Teddy Bridgewater just had no choice but to get the ball to him. I will say when it comes to Teddy, and this is something else that we haven't been used to in about 15, 16 years here in Carolina, he doesn't stare receivers down. Like It's not a one-read, two-read type of thing. It literally feels like they have shipped in the New Orleans LSU from last year kind of hybrid offense into Carolina where it's a lot of crisp passing, accuracy, it's all about timing, and it's all about getting guys in space and letting them do their thing. And it, I got to give Teddy his flowers. He's very, very good about spreading the ball around. If you're open, he's going to get it to you, regardless of what name is on your uh, the back of your jersey. So I do agree with you, though. I, I would love to see Ian Thomas or, or even uh, Chris Manhurst just kind of get more involved uh, in the passing game. But I guess that's just a, uh, an issue of maybe having too many riches on offense and trying to figure out uh, where the ball needs to go. 
finish this sentence for me, Mick, and I'll let you go here. The Carolina Panthers upset the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Sunday if they... It has nothing to do with what, what I'm about to say will have nothing to do with Tampa Bay, their loss to, uh, to the Saints and, and that kind of thing. I, I think the, the, the Panthers will win the game if Carolina can, uh, can have better third quarters than they've been having. The third quarter has been, been an issue. Uh, I think the Panthers will win the game if they can just focus on uh, their th- third down red zone uh, efficiency, touchdowns in the red zone, not field goals. And if somehow or another they can just force, I think the key to this game is is the defense forcing some punts. Desmond, mm. Carolina has forced two punts in three in the last three games. That is insane. And that's unheard of. <laughs> I know. Crazy. So let's get the Tampa Bay punter out on the field some. And uh, if the Panthers can get punted to at least, I mean, three or four times in the game, I think Carolina's going to win it. It's like watching like old like college basketball, Loyola Marymount versus UNLV, where it's just like no defense. It's 130 to 126. They're just going back and forth, up and down, up and down. And I have to admit, I've kind of gotten to the point where I'm used to seeing them not forcing teams to punt, which is insane, <laughs> insane, insane. And uh, it got to the point really – like with the Chiefs, for example, you know the old cartoon where it's like, you know, Tom from Tom and Jerry standing in front of a wall. It's got a bunch of water behind it, and there's a hole, and he puts his finger in a hole to stop it, and then there's another hole, and he puts a finger in the air and then a toe, and he's trying to stop off, and then eventually it just bursts. That's kind of how it felt watching them play the Chiefs because it was like, if we're not getting them off the field, eventually they will stop us, and eventually they will overtake us in the score, and that's exactly what happened because we just couldn't get them off the field. Do you think it's more because of – I know they're really banged up in the secondary. Uh, really, they're banged up all across the defense. Do you think it's that or more inexperienced? Because they did draft seven defensive players this year or a little bit of a combination of both. Well, first of all, in the cartoons, uh, Wiley E. Coyote, for example, he could get incinerated on, on the Acme rocket sled, but then in the <laughs> next frame, he's right back as, with all that's his right fur, as good as he was. So let's hope that's the case. For your friendly uh, Carolina Panthers, That's but so true. Um, <laughs> I, do, I, I do think it's just that we're just not we're just not quite there yet, Desmond. We're we're still a draft or two away. We're you know we need to we need to go through puberty mm-hmm. and uh, and and kind of figure some things out. Get our drivers light. I feel like we got our learners permit. We got so many young guys out there trying to to grow up and play learn how to play good defense. But you can also see that better days are ahead with this group. I agree. And it's always a pleasure to hear you on Sundays. I typically run out, grab a pizza and some wings. Sunday's kind of my day to chill and just, you know, sit on the couch and watch football. But I always kind of make it a point to be in the car between 12 and one or so before kickoff so I can hear you guys in the pregame and just kind of get in that mood. And I love the, uh, the call, the, the huddle call right at the end, right before you guys get the game started. Uh, it just gets me in the mood to watch Panther football. So, man, I, I really I really appreciate you coming on the rundown this week, my friend, and hopefully we'll be able to get you on here before the season's over. All right. Well, then let's go red right 26 Hank on one. Let's be sharp. Yes. I love it. I love it. Mick Mixon, voice of the Carolina Panthers, joined us here on the rundown. Thank you so much, sir. Appreciate it, Desmond. Thank you. Coming up, odds and ends, and we'll close the show. You're listening to The Rundown, Tobacco Road Sports Radio, tobaccoroadsportsradio.com.